Well, we've talked on this podcast about the ins and outs of contract milking. And today we are exploring another common business arrangement, herd owning share milking. Our guests are Rachel Bunnock, a Waikato herd owning share milker, and Craig Macbeth, who's CEO of Dairy Farms NZ, which owns seven farms, all with herd owning share milkers in place. Between Rachel and Craig, they cover what they like about the partnership type, how it differs to other arrangements like contract milking, how the financial side of things works, what it takes to succeed, how to keep the partnership sweet, the due diligence process, and much more. They also share their number one piece of advice for anyone thinking about entering a herd-owning share milking agreement, both for the farm owner and the share milker. And just quickly, thank you so much to all of you who listen to this podcast and who get in touch with your feedback and new ideas. Hit subscribe to make sure that you're notified when new episodes go live. Let's get into today's conversation. Craig and Rachel, this is uh, fantastic of you to give up your time to be here on the, on the Talking Dairy podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Good to be here. Good to be with you too, Ben. Hey, Craig, let's kick off with the basics. What is herd owning share milking? And is it the same as 50-50 share milking? It is the same thing. The share milker owns the cows, hence the term herd owning. I think the industry moved away from using 50-50 as a term because it then sort of empowered the freedom for both parties to negotiate something other than a 50-50 traditional split of the revenue and the associated costs that go with that. So, if it suited a farm owner and a share milker to have one party getting more of the milk check, but carrying more of the costs, say, uh, for whatever reasons they may have, herd owning is a better term rather than 50-50. I understand that Dairy Farms NZ has seven farms, is that correct? Yes. And that all have herd owning share milkers on them. What do you like about that system, Craig, and why is it a win-win business structure? So at a business level for us, not having our capital invested in cows means we can buy more farmland for that money. But probably more importantly, it's about the implementation of successful farming practices on farm. To be a, a herd owning share milker on the farm, first of all, you know, you have to be a good farmer. You know, to you have to have acquired a fair bit of capital to be able to afford to buy the cows and the replacements, the plant and machinery you need, pay if you're employing staff, pay their wages that type of thing. So the only way you get to be a successful dairy farming business is by being a good dairy farmer. And so we get access to that sort of well-proven and very, very capable pool of talent that are good at farming our farms in a way that utilises the grass we grow to good effect and good profitability for both parties. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Hey, Rachel, let's bring you in. What attracted you to herd owning share milking? How does it help you to achieve your goals? I guess initially what attracted me was sort of the idea that it's the progression step, that after managing contract milking, share milking was the next thing in line. But as we started to look more into it and look at jobs out there and what it had to offer us for equity growth and to achieve our goals, herd ownership, the ability to grow equity at a faster rate than contract milking was really attractive. Our ultimate goal is... um, farm ownership within eight years. So we had spent years one and two contract milking. And so we had six years to get to farm ownership from there. And share milking provided the best opportunity for us. Also, um, 
my personal goal is self-satisfaction in everything I do. And herd ownership is very satisfying. When you get to own your own cows, make your own breeding decisions and feeding decisions, and you know that at the end of the day, that herd is what you get to take with you to your next job. There's nothing quite like it. Whereas previously in other contract milk jobs, you spend a lot of time putting a lot of effort into the cows and it is satisfying, but you're leaving that job without the herd. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Rachel. Out of interest, do you think, you know, you're pretty well on track to hit that eight-year goal? Yep, we're still on track. But I think within the last season, where we are now in our share milking position, we've become a bit more open-minded with how we're going to get there. We're looking more at, rather than just originally the plan was share milk three years and then the next three years look for a bigger share milk job and then then we'll get there, which was, um, it was a $5 million farm was what the goal was. Now we're kind of thinking, well, we don't know what opportunity will come up, whether it's more a lease opportunity or an equity partnership. So for us, that is still achievable, but the pathway that we thought would take to get there is ever-changing. And it's just about doing our best to assess whatever opportunity comes up. Yeah, excellent. Hey, I'm interested, Rachel, um, day-to-day, what's different for you as a herd-owning share milker compared to previous roles like contract milking? I guess day-to-day on the farm is much the same. You're still getting up to milk the cows, make sure you've got the highest quality milk in your vat and that the cows are well fed, but behind the scenes, we spend a bit more time inside behind the best doing our monthly cash flows and budgets and feed budgets. A lot more time spent around decision making and our financial planning. Yeah, sure. I mean, and that was my next question for you actually was around the financial side of things. How does that differ as a herd owning share milker compared to a structure like contract milking? Both roles are very similar. You get paid monthly by the dairy company relative to kilograms of milk solids produced. With contract milking, you're typically um, on a set rate with more basic expenses of dairy running costs, motorbikes and labour. Whereas when you're share milking, you're paid on your agreed percentage of the total payout and therefore income fluctuates with the payout. On top of that, expenses are totally different and can vary contract to contract. For example, We pay for all animal health costs, grazing, all dairy shed expenses and electricity. We pay for 50% of the feed costs, nitrogen and seeds and cropping. Something that sort of opened our mind was when we entered the Dairy Industry Awards and we met a lot of people that have different contracts. And for us, we're paying for 100% of the grazing costs, but we've met a lot of people that have been really surprised by that. And I think it's just being open-minded about what system works best for each farm because we're all very different. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of expenses (laughs) and all these expenses can fluctuate just as freely as the payout so it definitely keeps you on your toes. Tax is the same for us when we contract milked as we operated as a company contract milking. Just be cautious in your second season that you might get slapped with a big tax bill which is a (laughs) Um, what a lot of people overlook as you'll be paying terminal tax for the season gone and provisional for the season coming. That's great, thanks. Hey Craig, what do you look for when you're selecting a herd-owning share milker? What sort of uh, skills does someone need to be successful in it? 
do they need those skills beforehand or can they develop them on the job? Well, I think firstly we should all um, you know, look to learn every day no matter where we are in life and what we're trying to achieve. And, and I think for people progressing through the dairy industry, it's a fabulous industry to be involved with to allow that to happen. As a multi-farm owner, for example, you know we've got farms that range from 430 cows uh, through to 1,400 cows. And so the skills, you know, the, the sheer milk on a 430-cow farm will do a lot more milkings, and the one on the 1,400-cow farm shouldn't be doing milking at all, really. There's, there's other skills and time demands for them that are, are different. We look for great dairy farmers first and foremost, and that means being you know, great at turning feed grown on our farms into profitable milk for both parties, uh, the sheer milk around ourselves as farm owner. So encompassing that is all the stuff that we understand about a dairy farming system you know, being important in New Zealand around pasture management and animal management. And as you start to employ staff, obviously being good with people, good leadership, good time management skills, communication is really important for everybody. You need to be sort of numerate and literate, you know, be able to understand your numbers and, and that type of thing and be, be able to operate off your, your smartphone now. You know, we provide a lot of technology on our farms that uh, I can be speaking to a share milker from anywhere, really, and asking questions about why is their water pump still pumping, uh, for example, but invariably I find that they already know the answer because I've seen on their phone that their water pump is still pumping before I've noticed it. And I think a really important thing to be comfortable about is the financial capability uh, and capacity of the share milker. You don't want to entice them into share milk for you if they can't afford to do it. That presents a significant risk for the farm owner, but it can be devastating for the share milker if they get involved in a business that's beyond their, their financial capability. So there are ways of talking through and working through that with people, but it's important that both parties understand those factors well. Yes, excellent. Thanks, Craig. Hey, Rachel, how did you prepare for that transition into share milking? Did you do any sort of courses or training before or since? I actually went to university for a year after I left high school. I went to Massey University in Palmerston North and studied a Bachelor of Agri-Science after about a year, I decided that it wasn't quite for me. Sitting in a room studying, when you're looking out the window at all of, all the other stuff going on out there wasn't quite for me. So I came back to the farm and then after a few years, tried a few other courses, but taking courses was definitely not for me and it's not for everyone. So I prefer meeting like-minded people and going to things like discussion groups and smash events and that meeting like-minded individuals and upskilling myself that way. My partner and I also entered the Dairy Industry Awards and that highlighted all the different ways of how you can share milk and how every job is different. So for myself, I upskill a lot through meeting people and having open, honest, frank conversations about a business, about on-farm, what's happening day-to-day and how we can move forward through all these challenges that are arising. Good stuff. And I think that's important, right? It's about identifying how you learn, sort of what your learning style is. And I think from what I understand, the dairy sector offers all of those opportunities to learn, whether it is in a formal training or informal. Hey, Craig, let's talk about the the due diligence process. Uh, this is quite a meaty sort of topic. What does a farmer need to consider when they're weighing up a potential share milking relationship? I think um, you know, there's a range of factors, obviously, and it's no surprises. It's the same as if you're looking to employ a staff member or if you're looking to go and be employed by a business somewhere. That share milker, farm owner relationship does have a uh, an important alignment of both parties. I think, first of all, from our perspective, the share milker needs to be prepared to work within an agreed farm system. You know, there should be some flexibility around that, but 
if a shareholder wanted us to build a wintering barn on the farm and we didn't want to, for example, then that would be a misalignment that would be very hard to overcome. So that's the first thing. I think, you know, in no particular order, but you also want a share milker that's going to fit into the community in which, you know, you operate and you own the farm so that they have a, a good rep- or a reputation and a known in the community that enhances our reputation as a farm owner in that community and vice versa, you know. So we want to be proud that those people are farming our farm and we want the share milkers to be proud that they're farming our farm as well. We have, uh, you know, quite a formal board structure that uh, oversees the development of our policies and that type of thing. So, again, it's important that the share milker respects that from our perspective. So things like health and safety, environmental compliance and standards, um, reporting of information through on a regular, you know, weekly and monthly basis. Those are all things that we expect. And if you're not happy about that, then that can cause problems. And I think most importantly, at the end of all that, you wrap it up, there needs to be good mutual respect. You don't have to be best friends or mates, but there needs to be good mutual respect between both parties uh, so that you can have good, honest relationships, run a business effectively in terms of the respective roles that you have to that mutual success. Yeah, good. Thanks, Craig. And Rachel, what was that process like for you? What steps did you work through before entering your current partnership? How did you do your homework? Yeah, so a year before Brian and I started looking at share milk jobs, we actually went to the banks and presented our equity and asked what we needed to build on to get to being able to share milk that 280, 300-cow job. And then we spent the next season working towards that, working on ourselves, upskilling ourselves and our knowledge so that we were ready to take that step and we could look at jobs, prospective jobs, with a more open mind and have a head start on what we had as equity and what we needed to achieve. So we talked to people, talked to our accountant, and when we had jobs that we had applied for, we'd do budgets on them. We used the uh, DairyNZ budget for each job and would work on that. The dairy industry is a big industry but a small community, and I think it's really important to talk to people. You'll be surprised who knows who, and it's also really important to talk to a previous share milker about taking what they say with a grain of salt when you're looking at a prospective job. And also make sure that the farm owner's goals align with yours, what they want to achieve with the farm and what your goals are and your future goals, whether you're able to reach those with the farm owner and with their support and their knowledge and understanding. Hey, um, a colleague of mine here at Deerns, he was telling me that one of his previous farm employers, either an employer or a potential employer, I'm not sure if they actually formed a partnership, but said that that employer provided their own referee, a share milker that he could go and speak to. Have you come across that? Yeah, actually, we came across that in one opportunity we looked at. And that was uh, that's such a good idea, really, because there's people within the industry that are confident and they know a lot of people, they do a lot of networking, and so you can look up or ask around about Perspective jobs and farm owners that way. Rachel, talk to me about that that first hurdle of getting the banks backing to actually buy the cows. How did you prepare for that conversation? What was it like? Did you use anything like the cash flow template or any other tools? Yes, we used the Dairy NZ budget for each job. For our final job that we looked at, we talked to our accountant and worked together to create a final budget for that and then came up with a proposal with a little bit of a bio about ourselves, our goals and what we wanted to achieve, what we had done so far in our career to date. We had three-year cash flows in it and how this position suited us. 
we presented our proposal to three banks and we went with the bank that understood our business best and the bank representatives that we related to best and understood our goals and how they could help us achieve those goals. Craig, I'm interested in, in getting your advice on you know the, the professional advice that someone might need, such as an accountant, solicitor or, or farm advisor, to help assess a, a herd-owning, share-milking job. What would you advise around that? Oh, look, I think successful people always uh, surround themselves with good advisors and, and know how to take good advice and act on it. Um, so you know, both formal, such as the accountant and solicitor and maybe farm advisor, uh, but also informal good advisors such as other farmers that are good mentors and other people who are you know good at giving you advice outside of, of the industry you're in as well. So that is, that's critically important for everybody. And I think when you're making such a fundamental change of your business as entering into a herd only share milking agreement for the first time, so that's that's really important. You know, none of us know what we don't know very well. So turning over enough rocks to actually uncover the surprises before they become an issue is important and so seeking good advice is part of that. Speaking to people who are a few years ahead of you in their journey, so share milkers who are sort of two or three years into a job on you know, their first job is, is probably a great source of information. Rachel's talked about the Dairy Industry Awards, so the network of people that a potential share milker would access through that is would be great. I think ongoing, once you're into your own share milking business, you need to be able to differentiate between where you put your effort to get your best reward for your business and your life, and in the context also that you have a farm owner to think about. So, you know, you're probably better off spending a couple of hours doing a really good farm walk so you make optimal grazing decisions than sitting at home trying to do your payroll for multiple staff when it's quite complex and technically difficult. You know, you'll make more money with good grazing decisions to allow you to pay less money to someone to do your payroll for you or your GST return or whatever it may be. So, uh, and as your business grows and you get more scale around you, then those decisions become even more important. That's awesome advice, Craig. I like that. Rachel, what about you? Do you have a a pretty good team around you? And did you get a fair bit of advice before you entered into your partnership? Yes, we have an awesome team around us, but it's only a few select people that we're very close to, like our accountant and our previous farm owners who we contract milk for. Outside of that, we have a lot of people that we are constantly talking to on a day-to-day basis and throwing around ideas and getting advice. And I think the biggest thing is just surrounding yourself with people that are honest and provide constructive criticism. I think that's the best way for us to learn and to improve our business. Do you have sort of a formal mentor or just a whole lot of informal relationships that are really helpful? Yeah, just a pile of informal relationships. We just surround ourselves constantly by people that are experts in the field they specialise in. And we get a lot of value out of these people and what they add to our business and talking to them. We also, through the Dairy Industry Awards, we've met a lot of people that we've got quite good relationships with and we have a messenger group now that we're often tossing around ideas with and and getting suggestions and anything that sort of sounds crazy and out of the whack. There's no judgment, just open, honest feedback and advice. I think that's really important and underestimated in the dairy industry, how much we need people. Yeah, great. And you've got your parents as well, eh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How far away from you are they? Oh, about a 20-minute drive, just on the other side of Cambridge. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey, Craig, so just moving on from that, you know, the sort of due diligence thing, once you've done all your homework and you're happy to proceed, 
What do both the farm owner and share milker, potential share milker, need to consider when they're going through the contract details? Oh, pretty much everything, really, that's in the contract. Yeah, we use the Federated Farmers Herdating Share Milking Agreement booklet. Yeah, it's about 60 pages. Uh, there's a lot of detail in it. And I'd really encourage everybody to try and find the time, both the farm owner and the share milker, to read it. You know, I've been surprised sometimes as to what the agreement actually says. But it's a good source to go and read. And then it just helps bring clarity to well, who should be paying for that broken piece in the cow shed, for example. And if everybody's clear and understands, there's less of an issue. There can be a chore to cover over it, but it's critical that there's no nasty surprises or, or misalignment of expectations or values after the relationship gets underway. Probably, I'm not a lawyer, but probably a legal requirement that people are given space before they sign a, a contract as substantial as a hoot-outing share-milking agreement to uh, make sure you have time to digest it, seek good advice, and know what you're committing yourself to. And if there's, Again, if there are any issues, you meet the party, you know, put your hand up and say, hey, can we talk about this a bit more before we actually launch into this this relationship? I can understand it'd be tempting for a, a farm owner to shortcut that process to secure what they think is the best candidate in there. And I can understand that a shearmilker might want to do the same to secure a farm to shearmilk on. But you know, I think all you do is build trust and respect by going through this level of detail and at the right time and in a, you know, a clear and comprehensive and constructive way. Mm, sure. Once that partnership is signed, Craig, how do you look after the relationship? How do you make sure that it's a successful partnership? What are some of the common challenges that you've seen arise? Yeah, if I reflect on the share milkers that I've worked with in in my current role, and there's probably about 10 or a dozen of them over eight years, where you have challenges is where you don't have that agreement on alignment. You know, if if we wanted to make sure we've already paid for the grass effectively by owning the farm, and paying for our half share of the nitrogen fertilizer and all the other inputs that go into the farm. Uh, but if the shearmill wants to buy more feed and we don't want to pay our half share of that, then that can be a challenge that can be hard to resolve. But by the same token, you have to have you know, good communication around those issues and, and, and a bit of flexibility on both parties because no one's great at doing everything. And um, you know, we've had shearmilkers who are very good at picking up some tools and doing a bit of repairs and maintenance on a farm and then another shearmilker who's not. But that other share market might be really good at the grazing management and their leadership skills amongst the, the rest of the community or whatever it may be. So you have to be prepared to um, not sweat the small stuff, but make sure that you've got good alignment around the big issues and you know, manage those to a good successful outcome for everybody. So that relationship can endure. For us, if we can have a good share market on our farms who's happy to stay there, that's far more valuable than having a good share market that comes and goes at the end of a three-year term. We've got to start again with someone new. Yeah, yeah, good one. Hey, Rachel, same question for you. How do you look after that partnership? What are some practical ways you can really make sure that it's a successful one? I think a big thing is communication and honesty. For us, we do farm reports, and it's a really good tool to make sure that you maintain transparency between both parties and you're both on the same page with what you've got for feed on hand, for stock numbers, and for what you anticipate for the coming months to be so that both you and the farm owner are always on the same page and you don't become stuck in any situation where it doesn't quite add up or you've bought more feed and then it's awkward because that's not part of the agreement or you can't justify it and the farm owner doesn't agree. I think it's just about maintaining that communication and honesty Feed budgets are also a really good tool. Yeah, great. And the numbers don't lie. What do you mean by that? 
oh, well, if you've got 2,200 cover and you've done their farm walk and your gross rate is, I don't know, at the moment it's pretty poor, nine, you can't go fudge that. And then if you're trying to feed cows or still produce off that, the numbers are there. I've just got a final question for both of you, actually. Not a small one, but what's your number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's thinking about entering a herd owning share milking agreement? You know, maybe it's a year or two down the track or further. One each for the farm owner and for the potential share milker. Uh, yeah, I probably got the same answer for both the farm owner and the share milker. I, I guess the first point is make sure you can afford to make that change or be prepared to. And, and by that, I mean, um, you know, I've touched on the share milkers need to be financially able to buy the cows and, and incur the capital outlay that's involved with the, the job. And you know, Rachel gave some great answers earlier about their approach to that. But from a farm owner's perspective as well, you know, if you've been a good farmer owning your own cows and you want to make you want to transition to a herd owning share milking structure and sell the cows, um, make sure you're going to be happy with the financial outcomes of that because they will be different. And you need to set the strength of the herd owning share milking structure in the context that allows you to be a lot more free of the farm, but you then need to create space to allow the share milker to farm your farm for you as well. So the financial change is important for both parties to, to think about. And then the, you know, the final piece of advice is, you know, whether you're the share milker or, or you're the farm owner, be the best in that role that you can be. You know, work on that relationship, you know, walk a mile in the other party's shoes and what, what would it be like to be a share milker on your farm or what would it like to be a farm owner if you're shim looking on it and bring that approach to your relationship. Yes, excellent. Thank you, Craig. Rachel, what about you? What's your key piece of advice for the farm owner and share milker? I think for the farm owner, be open-minded about how you negotiate a contract. Do budgets from both the farm owner's perspective and the share milker's perspective to make sure it's a viable return on investment for both parties. If both parties are making a healthy return, it'll be a successful partnership. Talk to dairy NZ consultants and successful share milker farm owners to benchmark yourself on how you can maximise profit. For the uh, share milker, if something needs doing on the farm that isn't the share milker's responsibility, just do it and don't complain. I find it's a lot easier for the share milker who is working their day-to-day to sort it than the farm owner. And at the end of the day, the farm owner has millions of dollars invested in the property and is the one creating the opportunity for you to progress and build equity. Don't get too caught up on what's in the agreement and what's not within reason. It's the little things like this that will help you get your next opportunity. Hey, it's fantastic. Thank you so much. Really excellent advice and some gems in there. Thank you very much, Rachel and Craig, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Ben. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. And I just want to say a quick thank you to all of you who listen and subscribe to this podcast, both here in New Zealand and overseas. At DairyNZ, we're really grateful for your support, your feedback, and your new ideas for podcasts. And on that note, please don't be shy to drop me a line if you have any fresh ideas at talkingdairy at dairynz.co.nz. Also, check out the show notes for some really useful links for those of you already share milking or considering it. 
The links include comprehensive information on share milking from DairyNZ, fed farmers fit for purpose contracts and agreements, and some excellent courses run by Dairy Training Limited. Catch you next time.